Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning and welcome to a live session with the Roadcaster Pro soundboard working. So now I just need to check my levels and uh, it should not have all that echoey stuff going on. And if that's the case, we are set. Even got my my remote working. Everything was was down today. But persistence and prayer and <laughs> and help Anyway, so we're good to go. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to look into Job chapter 5 this morning. Thank you, Father, for this morning giving us another shot. May you just guide and bless us as we look into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Job chapter 5. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple I have seen the foolish taking root, and I cursed his abode immediately. His sons are far from safety. They are even oppressed in the gate. There is no deliverer. His harvest the hungry devour and take it to a place of thorns. And the schemer is eager for their wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born for trouble, as sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God. I would place my cause before him. Who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends water for the fields, so that he sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd so that their hands cannot attain success. He captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. By day they meet with darkness, and grope at noon as in the night. He saves from the sword of their mouth, and the poor from the hand of the mighty. So the helpless has hope, and unrighteousness must shut its mouth. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heal. From six troubles he will deliver you. Even in seven evil will not touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. And you will not be afraid of violence when it comes. You will laugh at violence and famine. You will not be afraid of wild beasts. For you will not be in league with the stones of the field. And the beasts of the field will be at peace with you. And you will know that your tent is secure. And you will visit your abode and fear no loss. You will know also that your descendants will be many. And your offspring as the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor. Like the stacking of grain in its season. Behold this. We have investigated it. And so it is. Hear it and know for yourself. Chapter 6. Then Job answered. 
Oh, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity. For then I would be heavier than the sand of the seas. Therefore, my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. There poison my spirit drinks. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray over his grass? And does the ox low over his fodder? Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are like loathsome food to me. Oh, that my request might come to pass, and that God would grant my longing. Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would lose his hand and cut me off. But it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Is it that my help is not within me? And my deliverance is driven from me? From the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have acted deceitfully, like a wadi, like the torrents of wadis, which vanish, which are turbid because of ice, and into which the snow melts. When they become waterless, they are silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their course wind along, and they go up into nothing and perish. The caravans of Tema looked, and the travelers of Sheba hoped for them. They were disappointed, for they had trusted, and they came there and were confounded. Indeed, you have now become such. You see the terror and are afraid. Have I said, give me something or offer a bribe to me from your wealth or deliver me from the hand of the adversary or redeem me from the hand of the tyrants? Teach me and I will be silent. Show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? Do you intend to reprove my words? When the words of one in despair belong to the wind, you would even cast lots for the orphans and barter over your friend. Now please look at me and see if I lie to your face. Desist now. Let there be no injustice. Even desist, my righteousness is yet in it. Is there injustice in my tongue? Control my palate. Discern calamities. Cannot my palate discern calamities? Chapter 7. Is not man forced to labor on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired man, like a slave who pants for the shade, and as a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages? So I am allotted months of vanity, and nights of trouble are appointed me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night continues. 
and I am continually tossing until dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but breath. My eye will not again see good. My eye, the eye of him who sees me, will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. When the cloud vanishes, it is gone, and he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in my anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you set your guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by my visions so that my soul would choose suffocation, death rather than my pains. I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you magnify him, and that you are concerned about him, that you examine him every morning and try him every moment? Will you never turn your gaze away from me? nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgressions and take away my iniquity? And now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me, but I will not be. So the first thing we have to remember when we're reading through all this, is that Job really isn't being judged for his iniquity. He is being used as an example by God of someone who can stand up to Satan and all of his temptations and all of his accusations and say, I will not deny my God. Now, in this, he's going through major depression. In this, can you imagine with your body being covered with sores and, and having to scrape it with potsherds and being crusty and oozing and all that gross stuff? You see that, and it's going on day in, day in and day out, and, you're, and your life will just say, look, it just seems that perhaps I've done something wrong, but I don't think I have. But for some reason, it seems like my God is is mad at me. So it's probably gonna. I'm probably gonna die. I'm probably not gonna come back from this. But in all this, Job is saying, even in his depression, in all of this, even though he's kind of suicidal, he's saying, even in all this to his friends, I'm still not gonna deny my God. If you if you weave through this, if you look through this carefully, that's really what he's saying. Even though God may slay me, me even though I, I may have done something horrible, and um, I am not going to curse Yahweh. And now he gets kind of close as we move through this. He, he certainly wishes that God would kill him, and he's not happy with God. He's at questioning, why are you doing this to me? And that's normal, but he's not going to deny him, and he's certainly not going to look to another God for help. This is so amazing when you look and read into Job. 
Matthew now, chapter 8. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, by the way, we're in verse 18. Sorry, to mention, didn't mention that. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, and he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea, then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed, and they said, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Verse 28, And then he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes. Two men, who were demon-possessed, met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. They cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished into the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. This is really one of the saddest things you read in the New Testament, how these people had come out and witnessed a major miracle of men being delivered from demons, and they wanted Jesus to get out of there? Why? Well, first off, they were Jews. They should not have been um, raising the, the herd of swine. They were interested in making a living off of something that God had told them was not for them to be a part of. They were um, looking to, to enrich themselves off the world's um, standards and measures and not God's. So that it was one issue. The, the fact that Jesus came and delivered these two men caused them to realize that this rabbi had divine power. And my guess is these people were not following Yahweh very closely because he, they, he was known as, as a rabbi. He was known as someone that was sent from God. And they were over on the other side. And so it seems like they were getting involved with some stuff that was uh, leading them into a false worship or a false something, so much so that they confused. They, they, they saw Jesus as a threat, not as a deliverer. And this is exactly what's going to happen in the tribulation that the enemy is going to confuse the masses to think that Jesus is coming to be a threat. When he comes again, he's coming to the other side of the, of the lake, the other side, coming from heaven down back to earth, and people are going to lose it, and he's going to start doing miracles. Everybody's, you're going to see these judgments coming down, and they're going to think he's coming to destroy us.
these people probably thought Jesus was coming to destroy them. And so they, they, they rejected him. They sent him away. Just a sad commentary. But the people that wanted to follow Jesus initially, what is so impressive to me is that Jesus doesn't say, you can't follow me. He just says, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand. It's, you need to count the costs. There's nowhere for me to lay my head. You need to follow me by faith and not follow me for your comfort. And looking forward to having comfortable things, health and wealth and all these great things. He says, where I'm going, I'm going into where? I'm going into the storm. I'm going into to face demons. And you better know that. And so right after these these two guys, people say, I want to follow you, Lord. He's like, well, okay, just know this. And he goes right into a storm. Obviously, metaphorically, he's going into the storm, battling against uh, the, the demonic forces. And he comes to the other side where he's met with these demons who instantly recognize him for who he is. Isn't that interesting? They don't deny him. They didn't have any questions whether or not he was the Messiah. They said, "Is you come to, to cast us out or judge us before our time, knowing that their time was short. You get so much great theology from these demons. They know he's the Messiah, and they know that their time is short. They know that when the Messiah comes, they're going to be judged. Their time is going to be over on this earth. And he obviously doesn't, he, he just casts these demons out to, to save this man. He went all the way across that sea, that lake, to touch the lives of these two men. So one of the gospels says one because he was the main speaker, we believe, and the other one wasn't. But he goes over to touch these two men to bring them out of bondage and to show the world that he has the power over the, de the demon world. And where this is happening is very interesting. Again, it's up around, we're getting up around the Bashan, we're getting up around the area, at least on that mountain range on the east side, is leading up towards Dan. I think it's the lower end of the Bashana. I need to check myself because this is, was the stronghold of the, the demon world. The very southern end, I believe. But I do think it is the still part of that. This is That whole eastern area of that mountain range was um, kind of the home base initially, believe, we, we believe, of where the the angels, the fallen angels were coming down from heaven initially and starting their havoc upon the earth there in the days of Noah before the flood. And that's mentioned in at least a couple of places. And we see some of this interesting stuff repeated in Jude and Second Peter. So anyway, I find that fascinating. Jesus always had a reason for doing some special things in special places. If you, if you, um, Watch for it. Charles Spurgeon now. Faith sets the bow. It shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that a bow shall be seen in the cloud. Just now clouds are plentiful enough, but we are not afraid that the world will be destroyed by a deluge. We see the rainbow often enough to prevent our having any such fears. The covenant which the Lord made with Noah stands fast, and we have no doubts about it. Why then should we think that the clouds of trouble 
which now darken our sky, will end in our destruction. Let us dismiss such groundless and dishonoring fears. Faith always sees the bow of covenant promise whenever sense sees the cloud of affliction. God has a bow with which he might shoot out his arrows of destruction. But see, it is turned upward. It is a bow without an arrow or a string. It is a bow hung out for show, no longer used for war. It is a bow of many colors, expressing joy and delight, and not a bow of blood red with slaughter or black with anger. Let us be of good courage. Never does God so darken our sky as to leave his covenant without a witness. And even if he does, we should trust him since he cannot change or lie or in any other way fail to keep his covenant of peace. Until the waters go over the earth again, we shall have no reason for doubting our God. I love that. That's beautifully, beautifully put. If you see those dark clouds coming over the horizon and there's a phenomenally just horrendous storm coming your way, you know that we have the covenant promise of God. He's never going to destroy the earth again, but also just the representation of that torment like Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. We have his covenant promise that he's not going to destroy us. We know the promises of God. We know that he's coming again. We know, we know that he's coming for us, his church, and we know that the world first has to go through this seven-year tribulation before he comes again. So there is not going to be a nuclear holocaust where everything just is destroyed overnight, nor is there going to be a flood. So when you see those enormous storms as we get them here on the bay here that come in and they're just dark and looming and come in and hit you and, you know, hurricane kind of stuff too. It can be pretty severe. But when it's over, there's a rainbow. And that's his covenant promise. Never to destroy the world again by flood. And Charles Spurgeon goes further. He says his covenant to know that, that there is always a promise of God. It's really a promise of his second coming. He's not going to destroy the world again until he comes again and sets up his kingdom. And so we can look to that. It's going to, during the tribulation, it's going to be severe. But I think the promise for us who believe in pre-tribulation rapture is that we're not going to see the total destruction of the world. We're going to see him come again for his bride and take us out of here. And then the world's going to go through a heavy-duty tribulation. But we are to trust and to wait. And the bow is a mini beautiful colored bow given to us by God. Um, I love the fact that uh, answers for Genesis, um, answers in Genesis lit up the ark with the rainbow. <laughs> Got a lot of people upset. But he says, hey, we Christians are the ones who can claim the rainbow. That's in the Bible. And uh, it turned a lot of heads when they did that, but I appreciate them very much. So anyway, let's pray. Thank you guys for putting up with my, my sound problem and hanging in there, those of you who are with us. 
uh, I think I got it figured out. I think it's going to, from now on, I don't think it's going to problem. I, I had a cable plugged in the wrong place and I got it figured out. So it should be good from now on. So, so I think. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to have this time together. And thank you for being here. And we love you, God. We thank you for the promise, promises, all the promises that we have in you. We thank you. You are a gracious God. And we look to your creation. We see all that you've done. And we marvel. We marvel that we are allowed to be alive in this world. And we marvel, God, that you have revealed yourself to us supernaturally, that we now know you, we walk with you, we have this joy of our salvation, so thank you. We ask, God, that you continue to increase our faith and to help us to trust you in the storms that are coming. And in that, God, we pray for your hand of protection upon the world against the second round of COVID that is now in China and that it would stay there, and they would not get out, and that you would fortify our defenses, uh, in our uh, just natural defenses, God. And Father, we pray for just wise governance, that the people that are in power would not act ridiculously and follow a, a social, political agenda, but follow what is most helpful for the population and for their health. So thank you for the various restrictions that are coming upon travel from those coming out of China, but we pray, God, that you would just not get ridiculous. And uh, just, Father, we need wisdom. That's all. What, can, what else can we say? We need your wisdom in all of this. Now, God, there's so many other political things going on all over the world. So pray for Brazil that's falling apart. Pray for the war in Ukraine, which is still getting worse. And China, who's got so many things going on with their wars. Now as their population is falling apart, they may even want to go to war more to take the, the focus off the, off the pandemic there. So we don't know, God. But for us here in the West, those of us here around your throne, God listening and asking you to teach us, may you heal our bodies, keep us strong, give us strength to be your servants in all that we do day by day. Thank you for your word. Pray you continue to touch Roberto and Lulu and their, their COVID now. They're trying to recover for the strength in their bodies. Kevin's back for uh, thank you for healing up Tony and Bernice and their kids and uh, constantly God we need to see little Abby Dean and, and uh, Kim's daughter healed in her mind from this virus attacking and the rest of the family from the virus and so we pray for their healing we pray God that you continue to touch Juan Carlos as he's getting better and better Maria Elena and her cancer um, Hank and his cancer and um, now some other new people that have just had surgery, God, that is, have, I've just found out about. I just pray you touch them. Mary, as she's recovering from her surgery. So all of these things we lift up before you, God, and ask that you continue to just bless the fellowship and grow us, God. Bless your word as we come into this new, word, this new year. May you continue, God, to increase our faith and just bring us into the sweet time of fellowship one with another. So we thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will see you tomorrow. Kids have all gone back home. Be praying for um, Esty. She's got a lot more traveling before she gets back to Italy. 
but Micah is there back in Virginia and didn't get home till three in the morning. I think he has to work today at the church, so he's got a lot to do. And uh, Abby is hard at work at her church, so they're all back, they're all going. Um, and we're already missing them and our little grandbaby, but uh, we were very thankful and blessed for the time that we had with him. So I thank all you guys that got to see him and give him a hug and encourage them. Appreciate that. So we will see you tomorrow, same time. Bye-bye.